Good morning, folks. We're on the heels of the Thursday premiere of the world-famous Late Night Grin. Um, I was not sure this show had happened, but I actually was very much prepared for this program. I had time to not only be awake, but also watch wrestling, so I could review stuff on here, um, which is always, you know, an ideal scenario. Never great when I, can, I show on here without any content whatsoever. So in that sense, it's good to be back. Um, I don't know what the long-term plan is for um, for for this, you know, for this Friday slot. It may just live. I don't know quite how I'm how I'm going to feel about this in like a month. I think for now it's going to just live. Um, as for uh, moving, you know, beyond that, maybe we'll do Monday as as Old Matty Bullet said, you know, so on and so forth. We shall see. Uh, let me tweet this link a couple of times here, folks. And um, this rock and roll. We have a lot of stuff to talk about. Again, not really, but I like to pretend. Um, feels like the professional way of doing this. I fucked up the preview text, which means that it just puts the link when you tweet when you tweet the link, which is not ideal. Um, but the actual literal link, which is you know, so I have to keep tweeting it with the still image of the Burt logo, which is very frustrating. I feel like I'm doing WrestlePurist.com Twitter work, which is Never my intention. Um, let me just scroll through these pictures of Ric Flair bleeding in his last match. Let me find the Burt logo. No, not the picture of Cody Rhodes' Mattel action figure. No, not the one with Bob putting his thumb up. I specifically want the Burt logo. Which logo, Joe? The Burt logo. There it is, Joe. There you go. Tremendous. Tremendous. All right, I'm out of look at what's in the chat. I'm not ignoring you folks. I'm just trying to do my... Due diligence here, as the kids say. Uh, kids don't say that. Mostly old people do. Um, all right. Live. Yes, that's what we call it here in the industry. Hello, everyone. <laughs> I hope all are well. Uh, howdy. Oh, how? DeBert. He is Joe Holbert. He is a madman. My God, we're on the back burner for Big Brother. That's unfortunate. Appreciate you, Andrew. Hope you're enjoying your holiday. I agree with you. John, there was a lot of Jinjack talk. Made me quite uncomfortable. Couldn't tell if it was a bit that had been prepared in the DMs. Um, but, you know, what are you going to do? Jesus, wet. Oh, fuck. Oh, shit. Well, hang on a second. Now this is really probably, there we go. Had a lid scenario there, you know. That sounded like something much more crass than I intended. Right. What are we fucking up to then? Bobby says, The fast nationals I got this morning, so we kicked the shit out of impact. I'd heard that. Um, it is the Burt. No more Chris Masters talk. Sorry to hear that. Afternoon, JR. The reflection of perfection, Pop. Um, my God. It's a lot of driving, pal. Um, I'm sorry to tell you, Hester, that last night I was the only person on the show who was willing to push back on the idea that Mark Jindrak is not good, but great was the word that was used. Um, Bob, I believe, was the one who used that and no one else argued, which I thought was very troublesome. Um, but, you know, this is the role I play around here, apparently. Uh, no Pepsi Max. Well, you know, I'm, for a while I used to gimmick drink them on the air just because it was my beer, and then I kind of... Got tired of doing that because I do fucking four shows a day. So now I just drink them when I actually want to, which is definitely the more normal way of doing this. But, you know. Romp for Joe. It's not, it's not get carried away, you know. So that feels like an insult. All right. I have a few things I want to do today. I want to set the stage by talking about a couple of things that are relevant to this very day. I want to review Impact. I would like to... Review Jonah versus Jeff Cobb. I promise it's a nice review. Um, and then we will do some questions and we'll wrap up another week of debate. Okay, firstly, I'm sure many of you know this. You've been on Twitter or you're just aware because we've been kind of building it up some. Um, today is the 5th of August, breaking. And it is Jay Shaw's birthday. Uh, tonight, around 6 to 7 on Twitch, we're going to hang out for an hour or so. Jay Shell, myself, Monty, and I think the other lads are going to stop through Oracle, kind of like East Travel in Chattanooga, but 
just to explain because it's important, it will not be so much a formal watch-along, grin-along or any of that stuff. What I think we're currently going to do is just kind of hang out. Um, you know, the three of us are pretty tight-knit, uh, you know, to a trio, much like the House of Black. And, um, you know, just thinking of famous trios is the first one that comes to mind. I could have said the Death Triangle, but, that, you know. There's one Brit, and there's two Brits. It's unfortunate. Who's like a wholesome trio, you know? I would previously have said Hangman and Silver and Reynolds, but they're not really friends anymore. Young Bucks are too mean-spirited. Funny trios. Good trios. Oh, much like Bianca, Alexa, and Asuka. You know, a pretty tight-knit group. Famed history between us. Uh, so we're going to just hang out. The one thing I want to announce here is, so firstly, if you want to send like a video message, you can at grinnercircle at gmail.com or even a written message that we can read on the air. The the thing that would pop me is, and I'm not going to like promote this too strong on here because you guys give us more than enough of your money and a handful of you have even bought our shirts, which is absurd. So I do not want to do this in like a way. So before I go any further, I've got Jay Shell some gifts that are not here, not with her yet, will be like next week. So I'm not trying to like guilt you guys into getting her anything. That is not my intention. I want to make it very clear before we go any further. However, if you send us any super grins today, extremelabs.com slash late night grin, all of that money will go to Jay Shell because it's her birthday today. So if you would like to pair that with like a happy birthday message, you can do so again, streamlabs.com slash late night grin. It could be a dollar. It could be as many as you'd like, whatever you prefer. But I just wanted to say that because I don't want to make a big deal of it and try and, you know, force you guys to give her a good birthday. That's not my intention. I'm just saying that if you would like to, everything today will go to J Shell. So streamlabs.com slash late night grin. Uh, you can send those throughout the day and we'll read them uh, on tonight's show. Speaking of such, I missed one from JJ last night. He said, oh, how everyone is doing well. Uh, this is quite the day promoting two of my favorite shows. We'll get into Impact in a second. Bob, how's the show? It's all right. Uh, I just watched Nitro. The Nitro where Luger becomes champ. Um, Bischoff's starting to lose control a little bit now. Much love to you all. Thank you, JJ. It's a great episode of Nitro. Classic moment in US wrestling history. Um, Luger really got over in a major way, which I don't think necessarily was the forecast when the angle started. Um, he was kind of the third wheel in some ways, of the sort of babyface trifecta. And uh, that's, a, that's a hell of a deal. One of the great moments, I think, of that era. And it's a special era. All right. A couple other things I want to get into here. Um, today marks 16 years since the, the famed hour Broadway with the American Dragon Brian Danielson against Samoa Joe. Fight of the Century, as it was called, the event title. Gabe was a big mark for that, uh, you know, NWA title vibe. And it was, it was very much rich on that particular night. I don't really know, uh, like, the best way to say this, so I'm just going to do it here. So, it appears that I can just watch Honor Club right now. Does anyone know if this is, like, right or wrong or the correct, like, what's how this works? Because I don't have an Honor Club subscription. Or I have an account with Ring of Honor. And it appears that I can just go on Honor Club. Can anyone in the world that has the same thing as me, which is a, an account but not a subscription, Check if this is happening because I can just see the match. So, yeah, tell someone. Let me know in the DMs or whatever if you get a chance to check how that is working right now because I thought they'd like kind of close it down, but apparently I could just get into it. So I don't know. Um, I'm going to watch that today. I would do it on the air, but I don't want to draw attention to this fact. Speaking of such, I tweeted today about how they should upload this match for the anniversary. Um, I think it's been a real disappointment. Not a big deal, but it's just a little thing. I think it really would have been cool if, like, they would have done, um, uh, like, Ring of Honor Classics once a week. Like, they chose a time slot, like, Saturdays or one of the two days they're not on, AEW, and, like, shown an hour of Ring of Honor Classics and try and get their audience locked into the promotion's history and such. Um, I think that would have been a really smart idea to use the tape library while you're kind of got it on ice because until you have it on a big service, on a club is on a club, you know. Um, so that was an idea that I've had for a while that I kind of think they should tap into. But you get what you get, I suppose. Nonetheless, Danielson and Joe is a, is a famous one. Not quite as much as Joe's draws with Punk, but 
I know there's a contingent online that thinks it's the best of those kind of group of matches. So if anyone's interested, it might be free for you on a club or it might not be. I don't know how it worked for you guys. All right. Let's look elsewhere here. Let's look at the famed rival of the late night grin, Impact Wrestling, who uh, produced another television show. Apparently do these every Thursday, I'm told. Um, let's go through it. I watched the show. I took some notes. Here we go. Yona Perrazzo and Rosemary kicked the program off. Um, generally, they've been kind of leaning on these, like, move-heavy bangers, so to speak, um, for the opening match. And this is less so that. Obviously, Dionna and Rosemary is not that kind of matchup. But I did think it was quite good. I will say, for anyone that saw this, the finish of this was slightly puzzling in that they did a spear for a visual pin while the referee was distracted. And then when Rosemary got up, Dionna just stood up, basically, and didn't sell the spear anymore, uh, which I thought was an interesting choice. Um, you get what you get, I suppose, is my general take on this on this front. But, um, my God. One second, folks. Uh, so that was unfortunate, but the match was pretty good. Again, not the most exciting choice of opener, but it was a nice match nonetheless. Um, Rosemary... Diana Peraza. There you go. All right. Black Tarus. I mean, it's Brian Myers for the digital media title. Um, I don't know if Brian Myers should be beating Tarus. Call me a, a hot takesman. You know, call me an outlaw. I don't know if that's the case. Uh, but I will say the match itself was quite good. I must admit, tell me where you guys stand on this. Because I don't want to be an arsehole here. But like the old the, the friend of the show, Tape Machines, the greatest account on Twitter.com, when he saw Cardona and Myers on Saturday or Sunday with Ric Flair show, he had this tweet where he was like, Oh, people not moved on from this yet. Like people still care. And I actually read it a few times and thought, I don't know if people have do still care, you know? So I ask you guys, are Myers and Cardona still like a thing, or do we just pretend? Someone tell me. Couldn't make my mind up on that. So anyway, elsewhere, Giselle Shaw, Masha Slamovic. Um, I must say, I'm very intrigued by this creative they're giving Masha because for those of you who don't know, she's basically like a, a destroyer. She's squashed everyone. She hasn't taken a bump until this match. She's been, like, mowing over, like, real parts of the roster, like uh, Tennille Dashwood, um, you know, uh, what's who else? Uh, I think Madison, I think they did that. I forget, but there's, like, she's been wrestling some real folks as well as squash matches against locals. And Giselle Shore has been someone who they've, like, featured. And in this match... She basically just like motored like through it. It was quite crazy. It kind of caught me off. I thought this would be like a compare one. It was not. Giselle had one deal where she um where she she hit like an awesome knee and Masha bumped. And the, the announcer sold it like, oh my god, Drago is cut, you know? Um the match itself was really well worked. I thought they did a wonderful job of what they were given in terms of doing this sort of quick squash sprint that had some substance to it. But i got to say, I don't really know if this kind of push is sustainable. I mean, she's almost above, like, selling. She's a great, great talent. But, where, like, where do you stop, you know? Like, is Diona going to get, like, eight minutes out of her or something? It's like a Goldberg push. And I guess I say all this to say who that watches Impact needs this sort of push. You know, the people that watch Impact just want a nice little wrestling show. I don't think they... You know, going to be sitting there going, my God, she's unstoppable, brother, brother. You know, I think you can sell the Georgia Dome out. I don't know. I'm always fascinated by these sort of squash-heavy pushes in a promotion like this because I feel like most of the audience is so, uh, I don't want to say clued in because that feels like the opposite of what it is. They're so, like, kind of aware of all the wrestling tropes that it feels like it's, there's no reason to do a squash like run like this, especially when it's a good wrestler who you're not protecting from themselves. Smash would get over better even with just matches. I don't know. It's a weird deal to me. I'm intrigued. Like Giselle's, to, in my mind anyway, pretty high up on the depth chart. She got just beat like 
easily here. Again, it was a surprise that she bumped her. So, um, and it is also funny that yes, she had a match with uh, with uh, with Diana on like the knockouts, knockdown show. Right, that went fifteen minutes. So, I don't know. That, that's confusing to me. I don't really get it. Welcome, Tope. Uh, I love the new Grin Start time, brother. It was tremendous. Absolutely love it. And having Fridays and Saturdays back, it's just it's great. I can't, I can't overstate how happy I'm. And thank you to all of you guys who came out last night because, I mean, I was very concerned about that move. <laughs> very concerned about the response to it, more specifically. So I appreciate everyone that came out. I'm aware that for some of you it will be kind of a pain. You won't be able to watch live, especially the Brits. But it's very, very, very big dub for us because – or for, I'll just speak for me – 8 a.m., 9 a.m., Saturday morning. It's just, it would wipe out Saturday, which is a, you know, tremendous day. So there you go. Uh, anyway, I thought both women did a great job, to be clear. I just, I thought that was interesting. Madison Rain was on this show. She had like a Rick Rude-esque night. Um, she was doing a promo segment with someone, I forget whom. Uh, I don't know. She's, you know, been on the show a lot. Mercy Machine Guns versus Violent by Design. I thought this was... The best thing on the show, even if not the most memorable or fun thing on the show, this match was quite good. I'm not doing a bit when I say, um, you know, I'm not doing a bit when I say that legitimately I think Dina is a good worker. Like, I'm not even popping myself with that. I think that's a real thing, hilariously. Um, this match was quite nice. They started to do a heel jump start to get them underway. Gave it, like, a hot start. Motor City fought them off and had a great shine, which felt, like, urgent and like they were going to win it any second, which fucking ruled. They still broke it down. They got some heat on Shelley. Saban made an awesome tandem-filled, uh, tandem-offense-filled comeback. Tremendous time here. Um, and then they had that tremendous finish with the jackknife pin, I believe it is, with Saban going over. I will say, much as I like the match, and I, you know, I'm always happy to see Joe Doring and things that I enjoy, I have no clue why you would have Violent by Design kick the shit out of the babyfaces when, like, why you would have Shelley... Saban and Kushida get beat up by these guys anytime. I don't really know. Um, but why you would do it one week before Shelly's title match, I have no clue. And they're just saying the impacts always struggle, which they can't see the forest for the trees sometimes. It's not the time, you know. Eric Young can live to fight another day. He's been in the promotion for 30 years. Don't do this here. Have Shelly rolling. Don't have him getting the shit kicked out of him by Cody Dina. But some can't be saved. They followed this with a skit. In which Saban, Shelley, and Kushida were, um, they were talking about, you know, getting the shit kicked out and by Violent by Design. And uh, Josh Alexander walked in and was like, hey, man, just remember, like, you're wrestling me next week. And he's like, yeah. What are you telling us for, you know? So just don't take me lightly, you know? He's, like, mad about it. And he walked off. And Eddie Edwards was, like, lur like lurking behind the door, like some sort of, Michael Myers cosplay artist. Um, and he was like, hey, man, you're being disrespected and just need to know, like, if you, you want any backup, we got you covered. Which is firstly bullshit because Josh Alexander is not a Ring of Honor guy. He may have done a couple of dark matches or something. I don't know, but I don't have anything anyone remembers in that. I say he can't be in Honor no more. That's the rules, Eddie. You fucking fool. In addition, what is this? Why does Josh Alexander and Alex Shelley have to come laced with Violent by Design and Honor No More Law? Why can't they just have a wrestling match? There are so many things on this show that are just wrestling matches. Why does the stuff that could be good have to come with an angle? Anyway, speaking of shit, Sammy Callahan and Moose did some stuff here. Uh, Steve Macklin is unfortunately now tied to this, which is a terrible shame. Uh, they're building some sort of match that I think they've already done. Uh, hopefully Macklin can get salvageable out of these fellas. Main event, genuinely good time. PCO and the big LG Doc Gallows. There was much speculation and silliness about Gallows not working hard in this match, which I can tell you um, did not prove to be the case. At one point, he ate approximately 10 trash can shots to the head, which was quite the visual. They had a genuinely fun plunder match. Both guys worked hard. And in fairness to Gallows, he had a very similar type of match with Fulton, with um, Joe Doring, I believe. Might have been Fulton. One of the big lads, I forget. I think it was Doring. He had a very similar one where they did a bump off the stage. He seems to have really enjoyed this sort of horse shit indie main event plunder deal. Um, there was much chair throwing, which is the modern wrestler's way of getting around hitting people in the head with chairs. You simply throw them at each other's heads rather than swing them. Definitely more safe. Um, 
There was some table involvement. PCO tore up the mat, which then led to him taking a bump on the wood, which was not even a cool visual. It was just he literally just took a bump on the exposed uh, wood. Then they fought some more, and Gallows chokeslammed him through the mat. Through the ring. They did that in this match. PCO then fired up, made a comeback, and won after being bumped through the ring. So, I say all this to say, it was a hell of a time. I was very impressed by how much fun this was. I thought this would be terrible, to be honest with you. But it wasn't. It was good. So, shout out to him. Impact's got an issue, TV-wise, to me, because there is definitely a myth on the internet that, like, while the big companies are messing up wrestling TV, Impact's doing it right. And I can honestly say that watching this show is as reliant on the in-ring as any other promotion in the world. Um, whether you like the in-ring or not, I personally think it's quite good consistently. I think they've got very strong agenting and producing. Um, however, there is a complete lack of hook or, um, you know, punch when it comes to storytelling, which is something you could easily say about AEW, but the difference is that AEW has, like, big, awesome arenas and great atmospheres, and it's live. It is very apparent to me that if Impact wants to get its own niche, it has to do more um, creative, innovative storytelling. I have no issue. I'll watch Alex Shelley wrestle every week. I'm fine with it. But I cannot tell you what is an interesting plot line in the promotion. And when we're struggling so much for, you know, eyeballs in the landscape, and when you have WWE and AEW combining for around six fucking nights of action, um, you need to be more different than just good. And I respect the impact is good because they struggle for a long time to be that, but they've now been this for a long enough. So they need to actually get some creativity involved and creativity does not mean wrestle house. It does not mean backstage skits with bad acting. It means the kind of angles that people can really sink their teeth into the kind of storytelling and promotional tactics that actually say, I want to watch this match, which is saying they've struggled with for legitimately 20 years. Even, I would go as far as to cite as an example the Ric Flair match, which obviously was a catastrophe in many ways, but you can't tell me with a straight face they didn't promote their main event well. Because they did promote their main event well. They just objectively did. And why is that? Because they promoted that particular story and tapped into what made that story interesting. For better or worse, that's what they did. If you're not AEW and you're not WWE, you got to figure out your version of that. You ain't got Ric Flair. You ain't going to sell 6,000 tickets. You ain't going to do 30,000 pay-per-view buys. But you need to figure out why Alex Shelley and Josh Alexander is an intriguing main event match. You need to tell me the story of Alex Shelley's career. You tell me the story of what he means to TNA and Impact and what Josh means, so on and so forth. You do not have to do violent by design attack angles. You do not have to do Eddie Edwards' uh, law. No, you need to get down to business and look at what your business has right now because here's why. You're on Access TV. I could book the show. You could book the show. Scott DeMore could book the show. Greg Garnier could book the show. They're going to do about 100,000 viewers. It is what it is. That's where they're at. I ain't blaming anyone for that. That's life. That's fine. But you have two categories where clearly you can improve on your current state. To, clearly, right, beyond doubt. Number one is pay-per-view buyers. You're not going to do 30,000 anytime soon, but you absolutely need to lock in on the idea that you have four pay-per-views. These things need to be hot tickets, okay? There's just no reason, we'll get the tickets in a second, there's no reason you can't do a better job on pay-per-view than they do. A lot of the time the numbers don't even come out. When they have, I'll try and find a couple because... Some of the numbers you would hear were always scary. Um, Impact Wrestling. Right, let me find if there's any recent ones, because I know a lot of time they're very coy on these. Which, just to be clear, I'm, I'm breaking the news here. Wrestling promotion's coy. Um, right, here we go. Perfect example. Perfect example. Uh, this year's Slammiversary pulled in around 1,200 buyers. This was better than last year's edition. Now, look, folks, I ain't trying to be an arsehole. Everyone's trying their best. But, like, come on, you know? Got to do better. I'm sorry, you got to do better. 
you got to get away from your TV rigid, like rigid TV format and say, how do we get these matches over to the audience outside of our TV net, our TV base? How do we produce online content and video packages and hype packages and road to documentary content? How do we produce that in a way that will make up the difference on pay-per-view and get us to 5,000 pay-per-view buyers? God forbid, 10,000 pay-per-view buyers. Have they got the talent for it? I don't know. I'd like to see someone find out and try that rather than just saying, do you watch our TV? No, well, you're fucked. Come, let's try, let's try a little bit harder. With that in mind, tickets is the other one, right? I mean, God bless them. They're out there touring again, trying their best, hitting different spots in the country, which is great. It's a tremendous, you know, seriously, I'm glad they're doing that rather than just staying in one base, which I, thought, I feared after the pandemic they were just going to stay put. I don't know how well they're doing in that front. I'd imagine they're not doing great just because the houses don't look particularly full. But while I will absolutely give you your own access TV in 2022, it's hard. You definitely need to um, you definitely need to do better, right? Like tickets and pay-per-view are the, are the areas that you can actually strive to grow in. Um, to sell tickets, you're going to need to get creative with certain guys that you feature in those markets. But you're also going to have to get your brand over in a way that it hasn't been over in a long time. Jeff Jarrett is right when he talks about how much they messed up the transition to Impact Wrestling. He's 100% correct. It has never been the same in terms of notoriety because a lot of the people that watched TNA had stopped watching by the time it fully became Impact Wrestling. In around 2012 to 2015 range, it was both, which was an absolute mess from branding point of view. Um, so I say all this to say... I don't know what the answer is. I have a nice wrestling show. I think it's a good time every single week. I would never dis- dis- you know, dismiss the work of the wrestlers or for that matter, Scott Demore, who I think does a good job. But you can't, I mean, you, you're just going in circles forever and ever. And God bless them. But I think it would be nice to see some, you know, just some ideas for like trying to expand this industry, this, this business a little bit. By this business, I mean Impact, not professional wrestling. I'm aware they can't do that, but. I don't know. A thousand buyers is pretty rough, man. Um, all right. I have some stuff in the chat to catch up on. Then we're going to do Jonah and Jeff Cobb. And then we will circle uh, back to some questions. I think I have a couple from the email. Um, on the impact front, John says impact doesn't feel urgent. I just don't feel like it's must watch. I don't know what they can do to change that. And that's the truth, right? And I think from a weekly TV perspective, I think they're going to be limited on that front because ultimately they're doing tape TV on access TV in small buildings. How are going to make it must watch? I don't think they can, even if they did more angle heavy stuff like I suggested. Um, and that's why I think the other two areas are more important for impact. So, but I agree with you. Um, my God, Tope Suicida has said that he's booked moving forward for Thursday nights. Pop. Um, we've taken an impact viewership away. Thank you, Andrew. Bill is in on Thursdays too. Cody says it's a great move. Went fast and could watch it without falling asleep. It goes so much quicker at that time, bro. So much. Um, it does feel like history. That's about Cardona and Myers. It feels like it's kind of tapered off some, which fair. God bless them. Uh, to answer this, because this is a very fair question, which is Andrew's question of why does everyone love the time limit? I think, firstly, not everyone does. A lot of people, including friends of mine, really despise the time limit. Always a thing when AEW does it or someone does it. Like, it's always a topic. Why do people like this? It's very fair. Um, I will only speak for myself, right or wrong, I absolutely am guilty of the thing where it's like there's a romanticism to me for like the real world title. Um, in Ring of Honor specifically, that was like a clear thing they were trying to do, which is that the idea that the Ring of Honor world champ was that generation's NWA champ. Obviously, in terms of cultural significance and you know notoriety, it's not comparable. But there was definitely something to be said for the idea that while the TV wrestlers were doing their glossy horse shit, you know, the Ring of Honor guys were the real wrestlers of that era. Whatever that means, whatever that even, you know, suggests, I don't know. But that was the ideology, the same way once upon a time a fan in North Carolina would say Ric Flair's the real wrestler, while Hulk Hogan is uh, horseshit. So I think there's something kind of, you know, something romantic to the idea of, of two guys at the top of the field 
pushing themselves to that limit of 60 and and just, you know, kind of taking people on a ride. It can be done in a way that's very showy. Ring of Honor was guilty of that a lot with long matches where it's like, look at how long this match was rather than how good it was. Um, Flair was guilty of that, frankly, at times. So it's definitely not something you want to do all the time, but I do think it can be a wonderful time capsule. Like, I just think undeniably, if you like the idea that 16 years ago today, Danielson and Joe did one of those is like such a cool piece of history. You know, two of the most um, beloved wrestlers of the last 20 years, and they shared an hour in that room. 16, like, that's just fucking, that's just tremendous to me. I love that stuff, you know? And, uh, you know, maybe it's not for everyone. Some of those matches have aged well. Some of them not aged well. Like Punk Joe won. I know it's very divisive online now. Like there's a lot of pushback on it even being good, which I, I don't really co-sign. The second one, I think everyone agrees is good, but um, I don't know. It pops me. I get why it doesn't pop everyone, but it does pop me. Uh, as long as it's like stuff that's going to be memorable. I don't like, to me, there's a lot of long wrestling for the sake of wrestling nowadays, but as long as, it's like a major match, and it's something that people really remember fondly. I'm for it. I want to give some love to Jonah, who I was very mean-spirited about the other day. Although I do coast, stand by all of my critique at that time. Um, you know, the, uh, the, the truth is he's early in the tournament, so I don't want to be a piece of shit here. Um, Jeff Cobb and Jonah was a match that I had circled. When you go back to the preview show I did for the G1, it was something that I kind of pointed out as a, a key match for Jonah and one of the more interesting matches of the block. Jonah had got off to a very shaky start for me personally in the G1. I thought we'd been actively bad. Cobb, um, obviously, I think Cobb's kind of work as point speaks for itself. So he wasn't my attention here, my focus here. I wanted to see what Jonah would do with a matchup that felt like a natural fit, felt like a big match for him. It was in the co-main event spot. I was intrigued how it did, and I am delighted to say I thought it was a strong showing, and it was one of the more spirited affairs of the G1 as of late, uh, which I was really happy to see. So let's get into it a little bit. Firstly, and some of you, well, not, you know, if you watched it, you'll be aware of this. Um, they had like a really unique acoustic situation in this building. I don't know if you folks have seen any people talking about this on Twitter, but basically, because the fans were so far away, there was like a really striking. Um, uh, echo so it kind of had this like sort of cinematic monster fight feel where every hit was like echoing through the building and kind of ricocheting off it was really interesting the way it sounded I mean it might be kind of grating or weird for some of you if you've not watched you know bizarre wrestling like like some of us have but it was it added saying I don't know if you guys will, will get what it's what I'm saying but it's like Joan would talk shit and it would like boom through the building. It sounded fucking wild. Anyway, um, they did like a traditional power opening, shoulder tackles, you know, big lock up, wrestling position. They definitely, you know, overstayed their welcome on the shoulder tackle front, but the crowd liked it. So I'm all for keep feeding them if they're into it, especially crowds like that can't cheer and are clearly getting enthusiastic by the sight of it. So they did a good job there. They went to the floor and they had a pretty lively kind of fight out there. I think it probably, again, extended a little bit to its limits, but I thought they did good stuff and it was it was energetic, which was a concern I had of this match. Um, then Jonah settled into a rest hold and I was like, oh my God, I'm going to have to do this again. Uh, he worked an extended kind of, not extended, he worked a couple minutes of heat that were, were pretty dull and I was very concerned about the match because my concern was they had started the match 50-50 and had not even considered the idea that Jonah is so much bigger than Jeff Cobb. And now they were working it like Jeff Cobb was the underdog, and I was concerned. Luckily, the heat was very short-lived. They did an awesome double-down spot where Cobb did a clothesline off the ropes and bumped to the floor because the idea was he'd hit Jonah so hard that he had literally sent him flying out of the ring. Um, fucking rules. So, so there's that. Uh, then... They built back up to a double cross body spot. And Cobb eventually made an awesome comeback, including a suplex that is honestly one of the most ridiculous feats of strength I've ever seen in a wrestling ring. He basically did a deadlift, held him there for about five or 10 seconds, and then threw him up in the air. And Jonah took this big old back bump, boom, bounced off the mat. 
Um, it looked just incredible. Cobb is obviously a force of nature. So love that. Great stuff. Then there was a great deal where they were going into the finish and Jonah did a small package counter as a full finish. And I honestly would have been tempted to just do it as a finish. After seeing what they did, I think they, you know, was right to extend it. But that was great. I love the idea that Colt was such a force of nature that Jonah felt the need to try and steal a small package. Tremendous stuff. Um, but he then came back, a superplex off the top, which the crowd went crazy for. And then the big splash or the tsunami, whatever he calls it, for the finish. Um, this was really good. I really liked it. Crowd really liked it. I thought they really connected with Jonah here in a way they haven't yet. From what I've seen, they may have in the multi-man tags that I missed, but it felt like he got over here. And obviously, it's a big deal for him to win clean. He's now two and one in the tournament. Um, because again, a lot of his work so far has been in tags. So like I should, you know, I, I was a little bit quick on the trick. I was frustrated with Jonah. But um, I thought he looked good here. I, I think this in a lot of ways proves what we discussed about him, which is that he's way better as like a back and forth bomb thrower than as like an in control monster. Um, I think you saw that in this match perfectly encapsulated. The challenge is how many guys can go 50 50 with Jonah that unlocks that part of his game. I don't know. It's not my problem. I'm not booking it, but there ain't going to be a ton. He's going to need to find a middle ground of sorts. But as long as he has this in his in his kind of wheelhouse, there's always a chance for Jonah to be a player. Um, so I really liked it. Cobb is obviously, you know, a special wrestler. And Jonah, I think, can can hold his head high after a very nice performance, I thought, today at the G1. So that's the only G1 match I watched today, folks. I didn't have as much time as... Well, actually, no, that's not true. I didn't have a ton of time, but also, did you see the other matches today? No, thank you, please. Um, but I watched that one, so... Shout out to him. I want to make sure I give Jonah a fair shot in a match that was more favorable to him stylistically. So glad to say I enjoyed it. All right. I agree. I'd like to see Cobb get a serious push too. We have some interesting discourse in our chat. Andrew says, if WWE did an hour and ended in a double count out, people would say it sucked. But if AEW had the same match and time limit ran out, it would be unbelievable. That's my opinion. Cheesenator replied, WWE don't have time limits, so that might be why their fans wouldn't like it as much. Also, depends on how the match is done and how good it was. I haven't had a problem with any of AEW's thus far. Thus far. And Mad King also said AEW generally uses those kind of endings sparingly, so you can get use you can more use those out of uh, though out of those kind of endings. My bad, that's pretty my reading, not your writing. Not all of them are good though. Time limit drawings AEW have been stellar though. I, I agree. It's all about being selective. I mean, look, I'll be honest. There is definitely, um, like, a thing with perception is reality on some stuff. Like, there's definitely a case that if, if you did the same thing elsewhere, they'd be like, you've stolen this from a result. Um, partly, mostly, I would say that's earned because WWE so often doesn't give you finishes to big matches on TV. On a personal level, I can tell you that I don't care either way because I, I genuinely don't mind even finish. Um, I mean... I do think there's, I personally think there's a difference between a count out and a time limit draw because a time limit draw is this kind of epic notion that two guys have literally not been able to finish their business within the time allotted, which is an hour. And if you do it correctly, matches usually end in, you know, for 20 minutes. So it's like this idea that it was this epic battle. I don't think a count out's ever going to pack the same punch, but a lot of great matches, I mean, the era that the, the on our draw was born in and thrived in was when people didn't want to do results because they didn't want to beat their top guy in the territory. You know, Ric Flair would come through and you didn't want to beat your top baby face so they'd go an hour. The exact same thing was why they did count outs a lot. I just think through history, there's a certain epic, grandiose vibe to a draw that you can't get from a double count out. Again, though, ultimately, I don't really... I have no issue with any of these finishes. I genuinely don't. Like, I think WWE clearly does way too many DQs to the point where you don't expect matches to have finishes. Hopefully, Triple Paul will rain back on that. He has yet to, uh, but to be fair, he's obviously booking with the pieces, you know, he's kind of at his disposal. Um, hopefully, eventually, they get away from it. I have no issue with DQs in the right spot or countouts in the right spot. It just needs to be more selective than it has been in the last 15 years, whatever. Um, and I also think this is like a real thing. And I, I actually have talked about this a lot with a lot of different topics. Like, I genuinely think there's so many things that people have like decided to have an opinion on 
that honestly aren't good or bad necessarily whatsoever. It's a case-by-case thing. Mad King says it's because Dodby ruined the concepts because they overdid them with death. It's on them. They legit need to uh, get to making uh, more of them actually have legit endings. I would agree. But I think there is like a problem that's come from WWE being the only national promotion for the last 20 years where like, um, you know, the, the basically what's happened is they've done a bunch of things so often that people have decided they're just bad. And it's like, no, it's because they've done them so often, you know? A DQ, if done correctly, can still be a powerful tool. It's just if you do it in every week's TV, it's not really a, a surprise anymore, you know? A run-in can be very effective. Again, if you don't do it in every single match, which is saying that AEW have even struggled with. Um, there are very, very few things in the wrestling playbook that are inherently, undeniably, objectively bad things. They are all, though, you know, a case of too much of this is a bad thing. It's It's... A matter of being selective and picking the right time and the right like it's the same with the draw. I mean, you do an hour draw every month, it ain't really very special when you do an hour draw, you know. One of the examples I often use is when people do that thing where they go, they like believe in this sort of magical wrestling playbook, you know. The right way to get a belt over is to have long title reigns, no flip flopping. It's like, not necessarily. If you do it right and you do it with the right two people, you can absolutely flip flop a belt and make it matter. The issue is when no one has long title reigns and everything is flip flop, then it, you know, then what do the belts mean? So there's a there's a hundred and different one different ways to do wrestling. It's just it's a matter of the right case by case basis, all, all you know, all in. Um, Hangman Brian was an awesome time limit draw, great match. And told a story of Brian having more stamina. Then the ring match, Hangman tried to kill him off as possible, quickly as possible. That match was honestly like I feel so bad where. Um, with for like how often I forget the rematch was this year because it feels like 2021. It was the first week of this year. It was January 5th, I think. Um, and like it fucking ruled. It's like absolutely one of the best matches of the year and we all should bring it up more often than we do. The story that Cheesenet mentions of Hangman like basically going out as a knockout artist and just like putting it on Brian and busting him open. And Brian almost being in this like sort of weird world of survival for most of the match was just incredible. Um, the blood in that was extraordinary. And that match very like to me, that series was very NWA title. Um, which is, you know, obviously I say that with love. And I, I just thought they were fabulous matches. Very different matches. As you said, you lay that story perfectly. You know, Brian was so comfortable with the idea, he really felt like Hangman couldn't touch him in a wrestling match. And he kind of proved that for much of the first half of the first one until Hangman kind of caught him off guard with his late comeback, right? Which Brian, I think, thought, you know, the idea was Brian thought that had gone. Um, in the sequel, though, Hangman just leaned, like, leaned into his strengths and it was fucking awesome. It was really, really great. Um, Dukes, young Dukes says, I'd say it's more of WWE's fault. Of their own because of how overdone non finishes are than an easy out for AEW. Yeah, man, I, I agree. Yeah, it's like I know you commented that before I said it, by the way. I'm aware. Um, I'm gonna try to dunk. Uh, I agree. I, I think the one thing I'll just the general sentiment of what I would get is I personally like the idea of doing big time matches sometimes and using them to advance other things and not doing a finish. I would not do it often. But I do prefer that to only booking the match when you're like absolutely certain you can do the exact finish you want to do. Because I think there's something to be said for going back to things, you know? Like giving me enough of saying, like for example, okay? If on TV in the next month, I'm going to give an example that will pop you because it's the most Joe Holbert thing ever. If on TV in the next month, Eddie Kingston wrestled Christian Cage and they went 12 minutes and in the middle of it, Jungle Boy Jack Perry run in the ring and chase Christian off. I would not be mad at that because to me, the way that they would wrestle that match, it would make me want to see the feud eventually more and I can go back to it from a booking perspective, you know? But it has to be the right story. Jungle Boy chasing off Christian makes sense. We can all agree on that. And it's not the kind of match where you're burning any sort of big fight feel. You can go back to it. In fact, it would probably be really good and make people want to see it more. So what I'm getting at is, I say all this to say, I am a believer in that as like a play, but you have to be very selective with it. Um, 
I personally think we can be a little bit dramatic with like, well, it had a finish because sometimes there are finishes and AEW does this a lot where by the time you get to the finish, you may have well have done a DQ. You've done four runnings, you know? And I know everyone likes to have the idea that there was a winner and a loser, but it's like, I think that ultimately that, you know, that's an issue too. So I have no problem with hiding from doing finishes sometimes. Sometimes you just have to do what you have to do to give people a good show without exhausting or burning through things. You just got to be selective. And yeah, I'm very much desperate for that feud. Um, I want to finish after 12 minutes while Jungle Boy waits so long. Well, you'd have to have a reason for Jungle Boy not to like be around, you know? It'd have to be one of those deals where he's like, there's, he's not expected to be there. It wouldn't be like he was just waiting. You know, I mean, again, this is, I just used that one example. Um, again, it's a it's subjective. Feel. I know a lot of you are like desperate finishes. It just doesn't bother me as much. I'm only speaking for me here. Like, if they did that on TV, it wouldn't bother me at all. But I get why it would bother other people. Um, what else we got here? More BattleBots talk. Owned. Yep, absolutely. Great, great matches. Danielson and Hangman. All right. I've got all things uh, in my... Do we think Jonah is ultimately going to end up back in WWE? Um, probably. I don't know. I think Triple H liked him quite a bit, so... Yeah, probably. I mean, I don't... Maybe he'll be a New Japan guy. I'd be kind of surprised. But I would... Uh, my assumption would be that, yeah, he'll probably just... He'll probably go back because I think they're going to want just a bunch of free agents. And I don't think there's that many good options right now. And he's probably one of the better ones, I guess. I don't know. I don't know what you actually do with him, but maybe you could like put him in a team or something. You know, you kind of spice up the tag division. Um, all right. Christian, the most slipped on vet in AEW. Christian's definitely taken for granted. I mean, the Matt Hardy match was not an exciting match, but I'm kind of amazed that people thought it would be bad because Christian doesn't really have bad matches. He hasn't had one in AEW, as far as I know. Unless Meech has got a couple that he could list from Cage Match. Um, so, yeah, he's great. I mean, he's just a great wrestler, honestly. He's been a great wrestler for years and years and years. I would like to see him wrestle Tanahashi, actually, Mad King. You bring him up. Christian and Tanahashi would be great. Um, Christian and Moxley is one I want to see. Christian and Eddie, obviously. I was, uh, you know, a big fan of the Joe series back in the day. It would pop me if they'd run that back on TBS. It would be very funny. Maybe you guys have ever seen any of those matches. They fucking rule. Maybe we should do a grin along of those. Christian and Samoa Joe, they're great matches. All right, I have a couple questions here. Um, hold up. I don't want to do the Impact one because we just did like 30 minutes about Impact. We have one from Mark. Owned. I'm just kidding. That's your name. I shouldn't immediately dunk on everyone's name. Um, who says, is your NWA boycott full-time, long-term, or is there a match that can bring you back? I believe that Mark is actually Billy Corgan. Um, well, firstly, I think we all know that I am absolutely not you know, strong enough mentally to boycott any professional wrestling pr promotion. Quite the contrary. I will almost certainly review another pay-per-view of theirs this year. As far as what match could bring you back, it's a very difficult question because, frankly, it's, like, in a really weird spot where there are absolutely guys they could book for a very cheap number that you and I don't even know of right now, we know very little about, who are out there being professional wrestlers and would bust their ass to be in the NWA, which is what they should actually do. The issue with that, obviously, is that would absolutely not uh, make me want to watch the NWA personally because any match that I would, you know, personally want to watch is almost certainly not possible for them. But my answer to the question is um, it's not anything for... I, I just was mad they booked that for the anniversary show. I thought it was a real shame. You know, Tyrus, disappointing. Um, it didn't surprise me. I know I shouldn't be surprised or care even, but I just think... You know, there's such an opportunity right now for wrestling to just try its best. There's an audience out there. And uh, for the NWA specifically, the Ric Flair show is kind of proof of what is possible. You ain't going to do that every time. Ric Flair was the draw that I get. But there was also a lot of nostalgia that people liked about that show, you know? A lot of nostalgia. A lot of the people in attendance were popping for the idea of what they were recreating with Crockett and stuff. 
And uh, the idea that you're turning out what they're turning out right now, and I mean, I don't know how many tickets have sold, wrestle ticks, if they've done an update, someone tell me. I just think it's a real shame. Um, very, very disappointing. But I'm sure I'll watch it again soon, Mark, to be totally fair. Um, right. Have you talked about the numbers for Flair's show? Uh, very briefly, I'm amazed at the attendance. I have to be honest, I didn't think it looked like there was that many people there. I mean, it looked like a decent house. I didn't think it looked like 6,000 people, 7,000 people. That's kind of nuts. Um, I, I think they probably didn't do a great job of capturing how many people were there based on that number. Because uh, to me, it looked like more like a 3,000, maybe. Um, I'm not saying they're lying because I don't think they are. I'm just saying that, you know, it kind of speaks to how you can frame these things from a camera perspective. So that part surprised me. The pay-per-view thing, honestly, like, I have no clue if I'm surprised or not by 25,000 or whatever it was because it did feel like a big deal. Like, legitimately, it did feel like they promoted in a way that actually made it like an event. And it got, like, actual traction in, like, kind of beyond the wrestling bubble from in my personal anecdotal experience. Like, it was actual discussion of it. So in that sense... Um, I don't know if I should be impressed or even like vaguely underwhelmed by the pay-per-view number because I kind of knew it would do well. Uh, all I would say is there is clearly a lesson to be learned here. Most of the audience that bought that show bought it for Ric Flair. That goes without saying. There's no point pretending otherwise. But there were definitely buyers that were people on the fence that were popped by the undercard. And to me... It's very obvious that the lesson should be those promotions are stronger together than they ever could be apart. There is no reason for MLW, Impact Wrestling, New Japan Strong, um, less so New Japan Strong, but even still I'll include them. I say and I'll say NWR, I'll say those three. That's the three I'll name for now. There is no reason for them to be using separate talent pools, you know? Like they should absolutely be working as, as like a unit. Now, they can do their own shows, but they all run like one show a month. So they should absolutely be working as like a collective and try to produce the best matches possible. And also, another thing, if you're MLW and you get Jacob Fatu on a pay-per-view with 25,000 people buying it and 6,000 people in attendance, and you are so full of your own shit that he can't get rolled up by Josh Alexander on pay-per-view, you have absolutely lost the plot. And this is where the no-finish thing to me is way worse than anything we just talked about. I am absolutely fine with doing no-finishes in the context of a TV show where you're telling your stories. The idea that on Ric Flair's last match, the pay-per-view, Josh Alexander can't get an inside cradle on Jacob Fatu because that would apparently destroy MLW, so we have to do a no-finish, is to me, like, that's the worst case of wrestling politics imaginable. I can't believe that stuff exists. Can you imagine being MLW and being like, yeah, I know there's like six, 7,000 there and 20,000 a buy on pay-per-view, but can you please respect the sacred MLW rankings and have a no-finish? That's the kind of spot where that's actually bad, I think, because in that spot, everyone that watched that show rolled their eyes at that shit, you know? There's no casual viewer for that kind of scenario. The, the viewer in the audience that you wanted to get to watch MLW by featuring Jacob Fatu would have been way more impressed if they'd have got another 10 minutes and had a finish. Get out your own way with that shit. Terrible, terrible wrestling politics. Um, that stuff amazes me in general, frankly. But anyway, I hope they work together. They won't because they're all losers, but I wish they would. Second highest grossing indie show of all time. My God. All in first, of course. Comrade, a good book. Well, Comrade is someone who's vaguely aware of what the wrestling fan wants. He's very, very good at tapping into his particular market. I think objectively um, is the case. You know, I think he's done a great job of kind of maximizing the nostalgia for a certain era of wrestling. He's done it across multiple shows at this point. It's very impressive. So a good book is certainly not, but, um, you know, a good... Uh, kind of, he has a good read on the wrestling fan, definitely, because he had out matches that every version of wrestling fan was like, mm, that's interesting, you know? I know you're being facetious slightly, but seriously, he did a good job with that. 
Look at this. Tope's done a satin. He's talking about people discussing Ric Flair. Do you remember when Dave said that he was at a party and people were talking about the New Japan show, which is like one of the greatest things Dave's ever said? Like the idea of Dave walking around with a cocktail being like, man, I just don't know if Sonata's got it, you know? Like just <laughs> standing by the fire, you know, fellas with cigars are standing there. Like, Imagine putting the belt on evil. You know, just talking it through. Dave sits down in his chair, puts it across his legs and goes, lads, is Kent all washed? You know, in the whole room, oh, everyone starts arguing, as we do at parties when we discuss New Japan Pro Wrestling. I agree. I'd like to see Comrade do a show every Starcast. I'd be very surprised if he does, because apparently it was very frustrating. Um, what we got here? On July 7th, WrestleTick said the NWA had 660 tickets left of their 916 for NWA 74.91. Which is crazy because they sold out last year, I'm pretty sure. Which again, I mean, they got a month, that was a month ago, so maybe they've done better, but yeah. If anyone has any update on that at some point, feel free to tweet it to me. Because I was amazed by the numbers they did last year. So I'm impressed to see, um, you know, I'm, I'm impressed by the notion that They've immediately run off most of that audience. I honestly am guided, Comrade didn't do any physicality really in the angle, you know? Yeah, this is a real thing. All in is a little bit like... It's incredible what they achieved, and it's a massive own to Ring of Honor. The only thing they had to do with sell tickets was take their name off of it. One of the funniest things ever, like just paying for a show, but not being able to put your brand on it and it immediately adding 6,000 people. Um, is an incredible dunk, but uh, he's a little bit suspect as an indie show, you know, a little bit. Com yeah, Comrade's a very good player. Look, again, I talked about earlier, a lot of people didn't watch it. I didn't watch all of it. Monty did and would inform me regularly about how it was going. But that, like, Road 2 content they did was genuinely effective um, in terms of telling their story, which is all you can do, tell your story, you know. <laughs> Tope Pop. Same. Could you do another comparable show next year? If so, who? Um, I mean, no, really, I, I don't think you can because, like, Flair's an anomaly in that he's a big enough star to make it a big deal, but he's also, how do I put this? Um, Ric Flair has never cared much about his own dignity. It's about as polite as I could do there, guys. I'm going to be honest with you. I mean, I, I really don't. <laughs> Hogan. Yeah, Hogan could do it, I guess. But then, like, what is Hogan's fuck? I mean, he makes Flair look like Danielson from what I can gather. I mean, I think Hogan's like. Hogan, there's no way Hogan would take a bump, right? Because Flair took bumps. I mean, he shouldn't have, but he did. Booker T, apparently said. Apparently said no to doing it next year. I mean, look, Booker's great, but it wouldn't be the same, obviously. Um, I think it'd be a better idea, to honestly, rather than just, like, praying every year that someone doesn't die in the ring. I would think it'd be a better idea to just do Starcasters wrestling shows. Someone's like, just name it that. Um, I think that'd be a, a cool deal. Just try and put together the best matches you can. And AEW probably helped you on that. I mean, they helped here, right? Like, just do some weird matches. Try and make it, like, the hub of the wider wrestling world, you know? It'd be interesting. I mean, there's probably not even an audience for it, really. I just think the other promotion should learn from it more than Comrade himself, who I think was just doing it to, you know, make it worth, you know, make it, like, as good as it could be for Rick, which I genuinely do think was his intention. I mean, obviously, he wanted to make some money, his Comrade, but I do think he genuinely wanted it to be, like, a worthwhile, prestigious event. I think he pulled it off. You know, they tried very hard to change that in the main event, but I think he did his best. I think the real thing should be the other promotions should learn from it. But anyway, we come to an end of our hour here, folks. I hope you've enjoyed this. A um, little bit all over the place today. New Japan, Impact, 60-minute draw talk, so on and so forth. Um, so, anyway, I want to quickly say this one more time again. Do not, you don't need to. You've all supported us more than enough. However, if you would like to show Jay Shell some love for her birthday, you can do so. Streamlabs.com slash late night grin. 
you can send throughout the day at any time. We'll read it tonight. All of that money will go to Chase Shelby's. It's her birthday. So we're going to do a show tonight around 6, 7 Eastern on Twitch. It'll be myself, Monty, and Jay Shell. Um, and shoot, I think we'll stop by. Bobby the same. Uh, so we're going to just kind of hang out. And if you'd like to support that way, you can. If not, that's cool. We'd love for you to tune in anyway. And uh, hopefully you'll have a good time watching us you know, talk shop. So appreciate you guys. Tomorrow night, I might do a Battle of the Belts watch-along on Twitch. Um, I'll see how, how that goes, what that looks like, but I might. So, there's something to look forward to, perhaps. And then Sunday, Flute Week, as always. I hope you enjoyed the bird this week, folks. I hope you enjoyed the grin last night. If you've yet to see it, please catch up on the Mark Gindrak Pops. So on and so forth. Uh, appreciate you all. See you later tonight for the birthday bash. In the meantime, enjoy this outro. Wow. Thank you.